السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So inshallah we're continuing with the basmalah Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim And last week we spoke about the uh, we, I think we finished as we were going through the word for word meaning of the basmalah And we spoke about um, I, think the, I think we spoke about the word ism and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Which we'd covered before anyway in this ti'adah And then we were speaking about ar-Rahman ar-Rahim These two names that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala adds into the basmalah And in particular the meaning of Ar-Rahmah and the concept of Ar-Rahmah and mercy that we find commonly mentioned in the Qur'an and throughout the Sunnah of the Prophet And we mention a number of hadith of the Prophet speaking about the vast comprehensive nature of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. And really the hadith and the texts that speak about Allah's mercy are so many that it would be difficult to mention all of them in one place and at one time. So we have, for example, those famous hadith, like the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, when he's sitting with his companions, and they see a woman searching for a child, and then she eventually finds that child, and she hugs him so tightly and so close to herself, because she was afraid of having lost him. And the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said to the companions, "Do you think that this mother would ever throw her child willingly into the fire?" And they said, "No, no, O Messenger of Allah, she would never do so." The Prophet replied, "Sallallahu alaihi wasallam, that Allah is more merciful to His servants than this mother is to her child, and that's why some of the scholars of Islam used to say that if we had the choice on Yom al-Qiyamah between Allah judging us and between our mothers judging us, we would choose Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, because Allah Azza wa Jal is more merciful, has more rahmah, is more compassionate, more gentle, more kind towards us than even our own parents." And then we have those other hadith, like the hadith of the man who, at the time of his death, gathered his children, and he told them to um, to cremate his body, and wait for a day of a strong wind, and then to scatter his ashes half on land, half on sea. And then Allah subhanahu wa taala gathers this man together and says to him, "Why did you do what you did? Why did you ask them to do what they did?" And the man replies, and he says, "Oh Allah, out of fear for you." And so Allah Azza wa forgives him and enters him into Jannah. And then you have the other hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam of the man who will come on Yom Al-Qiyamah with 99 scrolls of evil deeds. Each scroll when it is unrolled will go as far as the horizon, as far as the eye can see. All of evil deeds. And Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala will say to that man on Yom Al-Qiyamah, what good deed do you have that you can bring on this day? And the man will reply and he will say, Oh Allah, I have nothing good that I can bring in relation to 99 scrolls of evil deeds. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to that man, rather today you will not be oppressed. Right? Today there is no oppression for you. And Allah will command the angels to bring forth the good deeds that this man has. The hadith says that he will have only a bataqa, a card, upon which it is written, La ilaha illallah. In this hadith, Amongst the scholars is known as the hadith al-bataqa, the hadith of the card, for that very reason. So the man will see the card and he will say, Oh Allah, in relation to 99 scrolls of evil deeds, what good is this one card? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to him, Today you will not be oppressed. And Allah will weigh his 99 scrolls of evil deeds with that one card upon which it says, La ilaha illallah, and the card will be heavier than the 99 scrolls of evil deeds, and Allah will forgive him and enter him into Jannah. And there are countless hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that speak 
about the importance of this concept of mercy. So it is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions often in the Qur'an, and it is mentioned as part and parcel of the basmala. Right? And again, it will be mentioned in Surah Al-Fatiha as well, in the verse Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. So Allah mentions these two names. Both of them refer to the attribute of Allah, mercy. The scholars of Islam say that when the two names are mentioned individually, so we were saying that uh, when these two names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, when they're mentioned individually in the Qur'an, right, alone, on their own, so Ar-Rahman is mentioned by itself, or Ar-Rahim is mentioned by itself, each one denotes the other. Right? Each one implies the meanings of the other. But when the two of them are mentioned together, like in Surah Al-Fatiha, like in the Basmala, so you have Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim together, then each one signifies something different. Right? Each one enhances or mentions or emphasizes a different meaning and a different aspect of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one of the things that we find that Allah azza wa mentions the name mercy with other names as well. So it's not just Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim that come together, but there are other names. Like for example, Allah azza wa says, وَرَبُّكَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحْمَةِ In Surah Al-Kahf. And your Lord is oft forgiving, full of mercy. So forgiveness is mentioned with mercy. Mercy implies not only forgiveness, but it implies compassion, it implies gentleness, it implies kindness, it implies forbearance. All of those are meanings that come under the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because when Allah forgives, His forgiveness is complete. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't hold anything on that person. Allah doesn't hold any, um, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't remind a person of the evil that they did once he's forgiven them. So it includes gentleness, it includes kindness, it includes compassion. It also includes forbearance and patience. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives someone, his forgiveness includes his patience subhanahu wa ta'ala that the person sins and that Allah waits for them to make tawbah and waits and waits and Allah is patient with them. Allah doesn't hold us to account for our sins immediately. But Allah gives us chance after chance after chance. And then even after 10-15 years of sinning, when a person makes one act of tawbah, one act of repentance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives them for all of those 10-15 years of sins. Right? They don't have to make tawbah for 15 years to make up for the 15 years of sins. One act of tawbah, one act of repentance is enough for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. And likewise, Allah azza wa in another surah, in Surah Al-An'am, he says, وَرَبُّكَ الْغَنِيُّ ذُو الرَّحْمَةِ And your Lord is free of all need, right? rich, and he is full of mercy. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, part of his richness, part of his free of being in need, and in, in need of anyone's help or in need of anyone's assistance, is his mercy subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because sometimes we're merciful towards people that we want to take favor from. Right? We're merciful towards people that we want to impress. We're merciful towards people because sometimes we have no other option except to forgive someone because that person is more powerful than us. Right? So we don't have a choice. If you have someone who's weak, someone who, for example, is you know, a subject to a lord or a king or someone who's a powerful person and maybe they're tyrannical, maybe they're you know, like a dictator or a despot and then that person comes and, and he says and he does something wrong, you know, the dictator does something wrong, he oppresses one of his subjects and then he says to him, forgive me, that person has no other choice. Right? They have to forgive them. They can't hold them to account. There's no recourse for justice for them. But when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives, he is rich subhanahu wa ta'ala. He doesn't need anything. Allah azza wa forgives from a position of mercy. Right? Not from a position of, um, of weakness. 
And that's why Allah Azza wa Jal sometimes mentions the name Al-Aziz, which means full of might and full of power, with Al-Rahim, that he is full of mercy. Right? Because Allah Azza wa Jal forgives from a position of strength. So these two names, when they're mentioned together, Al-Rahman Al-Rahim, they have a number of meanings. So when they're mentioned individually, Al-Rahman Al-Rahim, they mean merciful in all of its aspects and all of its comprehensive meaning. But when they're mentioned together, you have Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, like in the Basmala, like in Surah Al-Fatiha, each one emphasizes a slightly different meaning. And there are three differences between the two when they're mentioned together, between Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, when they're mentioned together. There's a difference in the linguistic point of view, from a viewpoint of a linguistic or linguistic standpoint, from a meaning standpoint, number two, and number three, from an eloquent standpoint. So as for the meaning or the literal standpoint of Rahman al-Rahim, then al-Rahman refers to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his attribute, the attribute of Allah azza wa jal, al-Rahman, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is full of mercy, that Allah azza wa jal by his nature is merciful. So it's referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself, that is his nature, that Allah azza wa jal is merciful. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, and by the way, some of the scholars are more of the opinion that the name Ar-Rahman is the second of the greatest names of Allah. Right? So we're going to come on, uh, you know, look, when you go to Surah Al-Ikhlas, we'll speak about the great name of Allah, Ismullah Al-A'zam. What is the greatest name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Many of the scholars were of the opinion that the greatest name is the name Allah itself. And we'll go into detail concerning that. But there is a difference of opinion and there are a number of opinions and sayings amongst the scholars as to what is the greatest name of Allah. Some of those scholars said that the second greatest name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the name Ar-Rahman. Right? Because Ar-Rahman is um, unique to Allah Azza wa It's not a name that is given to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is a name that belongs to only Allah. So you can't call someone Rahman. Right? Rahman or Rahman isn't a name that you can ascribe to people, even to describe them as a description, as an attribute, as a characteristic. Ar-Rahman belongs to Allah. Rahman belongs to Allah. And that's why Allah Azza wa Jal, for example, says in the Quran in Surah Al-Isra, Whether you call him by the name Allah or by the name Ar-Rahman. Whichever of those names you use, then to Allah belongs the most beautiful of names. And Allah Azza wa Jal often mentions the name Ar-Rahman. So for example, Ar-Rahman, even in the story of, and it's usually mentioned in the sense that Allah Azza wa Jal's mercy is comprehensive. But it's overarching, it, it, it covers everything and everyone subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why Ibn Kathir rahimahullah, and Al-Qurtubi and others, they mention that Musaylama, right? Musaylama al-Kadhab, Musaylama the liar, the imposter, who was a man who claimed to be a false prophet during the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So as we know from the signs of Yawm al-Qiyamah, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam prophesied that there would be 30 liars and imposters, right? The Jalun, he called them. 30 liars and imposters, each one of them will claim to be a prophet of Allah after the coming of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Perhaps one of the most famous of those individuals, and you know, we still have them from time to time, but one of the most famous individuals was a man by the name of Musaylama, right, who later became known as Musaylama al-Kadhab, Musaylama the liar. Musaylama in the lifetime of the Prophet sallallahu he claimed to be a prophet of Allah. And he came from an area 
of the Arabian Peninsula called Yamama. Musaylama wrote a letter to the Prophet ﷺ, such was his audacity, because when he claimed to be a prophet, his tribe's people and the people of his village and the people that were his kin's people and the people of his qabila and so on, his clan and tribe, all of them or most of them believed in him and they followed him. Right? Because as we know, Arabia during that time was very tribal. Right? People wanted, it was a source of honor, you know, or supposed honor that they thought that someone amongst them would claim to be a prophet or claim to be a king or claim to be a leader. So many people followed him in his small area. So Musaylama, he wrote a letter to the Prophet wasallam, and he said to him that you and I have been given the same thing, right? Meaning you're a Prophet of Allah, I'm a Prophet of Allah. So let us divide the earth into two between us. Right? You take half, I'll take half. Let, let's share. Right? Basically, that's what he's saying. So the Prophet wasallam, replied to him and he said, Indeed, the earth belongs to Allah. He gives it to whomsoever he wills. Right? It's not for me and you to share, to decide who gets what. It belongs to Allah. Allah gives it to whomsoever he wills. Musaylama used to claim to have revelation. Right? And he would recite poetry, very simple poetry, and he would claim that it rivals the Qur'an. So there's a story of a, you know, one of the noblemen of the Arabs, one of the leaders, he came to Musaylama, and he said to him, give me your revelation. Right? This revelation that you supposedly received from Allah, recite it for me. So he recited some of the verses, and it's mentioned in the books of Tafsir and so on, in the books of history. And the man replied to him and he said, you know that I know that you're a liar. Right? You know that I know that you're a liar. Because of how basic his poetry was, that even the Arabs would know that this is just like, it's like a nursery rhyme that he's making up. The point of this is Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, Al-Qurtubi, others, they said, that when Musaylama came out, when he emerged, when he proclaimed himself as a prophet, he gave himself the title of Rahmanul Yamama. Right? That's the title that he gave to himself. Rahman al-Yamama. The merciful of Yamama. Right? Yamama is the area that he belonged to. And he called himself Rahmanul Yamama. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, al-Qurtub and others said that when he had this, you know, like this arrogance, and this audacity to claim one of the names that belong to only Allah alone and claim it for himself, for the rest of history he was known as Musaylamatul Kazab, Musaylamat the liar. To the extent that most of you probably never even, you know, even if you've heard of Musaylama, you probably never knew that he was called Rahmanul Yamama, right? Because that's how you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has wiped that name away from history. It's not something which is commonly known. And from all of the false prophets that have, have come. Right, hardly any of them is called Kadhab, even though they were all imposters and liars. You know, you have Aswad al-Ansi, and you have, you know, even to like later times, the, the one from India, Qulam Mirza, and you know, all of these people that claim to have prophethood, but they're not given that title, even though they were, you know, they were un, un, untrue in their claim, but they're not given the title of Kadhab. But Musaylam ibn Kathir and others say, when he took that name that belongs to Allah alone, Rahman and he called himself Rahmanul Yamama, he went down for the rest of history to the extent that Ibn Kathir says that even the Bedouin Arabs in the middle of the desert would know him only as Musaylamatul Kadhab, Musaylam and the liar. And that is because this name is something which belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. It's like the name Allah. It's not allowed for anyone to take that name and claim it for themselves or call it their children by it or anything else because it is a name that belongs to Allah. As opposed to Rahim. Right? So this is the literal difference between the two. Rahim is an attribute and a characteristic that can be given 
to Allah, in which case you say Ar-Rahim, that is the most merciful, or you can give it to other people, Rahim, right? Allah Azza wa in the Quran, um, in Surah At-Tawbah, Allah calls the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Rahim, right? Bil-Mu'minina Ra'ufur Rahim, that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was merciful towards the believers, and Allah calls him Rahim. Right, similar to it, for example, is the name Samir and Basir, all hearing, all knowing, right? Or hearing and knowing, right? When you say As-Samir, the all-knowing, or As-Samir, all-seeing, and Al-Basir, all-seeing and all-hearing, with the Al, then it belongs to Allah. But just the word Samir and Basir can be given to humans, right? And can be given to other than Allah. Allah Azza wa says in Surah Al-Insan, إِنَّا خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ مِن نُطْفَةٍ أَمْشَاجٍ نَبْتَلِيهِ فَجَعَلْنَاهُ سَمِيعًا بَصِيرًا We created man from a sperm and then we made him سَمِيعًا بَصِيرًا Hearing and seeing. Right? So the name Samir Basir Rahim, they can belong to other than Allah or they can be used to describe other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whereas the name Rahman only belongs to Allah azza wa jal and only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be used in, with that description. The second um, difference between Rahman and Rahim comes from a meaning standpoint. So the first one was a literal thing from a wording perspective. The second is from a meaning. And that is that Rahman refers to Allah's mercy for everyone, all of his creation. Human, non-human, jinn, animals, plants. And it refers to Allah's mercy in this life and the next. It is something which is expansive and great and it covers all of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy in any form and shape towards any of his creation subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why often in the Quran, when Allah azza wa jal um, is mentioned in that sense of having overarching mercy, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is described as being Ar-Rahman. So for example, Allah azza wa jal says, Ar-Rahmanu ala al-arsh istawa. Allah or Ar-Rahman is the one who ascended above the heavens. Right? Because that those heavens, Allah has ascended above all of his creation. Not just the believers, not just a group of them. All of his creation, Allah is above them. So to describe that Allah Azza wa Jal uses the name that befits that meaning. Likewise, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, in the story of Maryam alayhi salam, right, in Surah Maryam, when, she, uh, when the angels approach in the form of men, and she sees them, and even later on actually when she's made an oath to Allah and she's giving birth to her son Isa alayhi she makes an oath to Allah that she won't speak. Right, so when the people come, her townspeople or whatever, and they see a child with her and they start to accuse her and her honor, she says, Inni nadartu lirrahmani sawma. I have made a promise to Ar-Rahman that I am fasting, meaning that I won't speak. So the scholars say that she uses the name Ar-Rahman to show how expansive the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, that even in times of the most difficult trials and the most difficult hardship, she still remembers Allah's mercy. That Allah's mercy encompasses everything. Right? Not just her, but everything around her. And we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells her to shake the date palm tree and she gets food. Right? And so this is all from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for her. Right? Um, and you have like similar examples in the Quran where Allah Azza wa Jal's name Ar-Rahman is mentioned. So, uh, Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqidi, Rahimahullah, who is the author of the famous book of Tafsir, Adwa'u Al-Bayan, 
Adwa'ul Bayan is an amazing book and this scholar was an amazing scholar who lived fairly like recently. He, lived, he died probably about 30-40 years ago in Saudi Arabia. Uh, originally from Mauritania, the Sheikh migrated to Saudi Arabia and then he lived there and he passed away there, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. The Sheikh, and he's, you know, he's, he's the Sheikh of people like Sheikh Nasseemeen, Sheikh Bakr Abu Zaid, many of the Sheikh Salih Fawzan, many of the senior scholars of Saudi Arabia, students of this individual. Okay, so uh, for those of you online, sorry, but we, for some reason the connection keeps cutting off, so um, we apologize and just bear with us, inshallah. So we're speaking about, um, yeah, so I was saying Sheikh Shafiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, right, a famous scholar of, uh, of our times or you know, recent times. Uh, the Sheikh has a famous book of tafsir, it's called Adwa'ul Bayan. And Adwa'ul Bayan is a book that primarily focuses on making tafsir of the Quran with the Quran. So what the Sheikh does is he matches verses of the Quran with other verses of the Quran that explain the Quran, right? The Quran explains the Quran because as we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often mentions different subjects and different topics and he varies them throughout the Quran, right? Spreads them, disperses them throughout the Quran. So explaining the Quran with the Quran is actually the first and most important way of making tafsir of the Quran. So often when we're making tafsir, you know, sometimes we just focus on the sunnah, or sometimes we focus on the statements of the scholars and you know, what have you. But actually the number one method and the first way of making tafsir is by going through the Qur'an itself. Right? Not isolating the verse, but actually complementing the Qur'an with the Qur'an. So uh, Shaykh Shanqiti rahimahullah ta'ala in his Adwa'ul Bayan, when he comes to this point of Ar-Rahman being the name that denotes that Allah's mercy encompasses everything. He says that when you look at the words in which, or the verses rather, in which Allah Azza wa mentions just the name Ar-Rahman by itself, it is often to denote that meaning of wider mercy for all of the creation of Allah. Right? So not just humans or not just Muslims, but for all of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for example, in Surah Ar-Rahman, when Allah says, Ar-Rahman, Allam al-Quran. Right? He is Ar-Rahman and he taught the Quran. Showing that the Quran is a mercy that should be for all of mankind. Right? It's open for all of humankind and for the jinn as well. And likewise, when Allah Azzawajal, for example, says in Surah Al-Mulk, أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْا إِلَى الطَّيْرِ فَوْقَهُمْ صَافَاتٍ وَيَقْبِضٍ مَا يُمْسِكُهُنَّ إِلَّا الرَّحْمَانِ Do you not see the birds that fly above you, right, in the skies? Nothing keeps them aloft or in the sky except for Ar-Rahman. Meaning that Ar-Rahman, his mercy touches the animals and it touches the birds and it touches the fish in the sea and it touches the plants and it touches all of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas the name Ar-Rahim, right, so when we're speaking about this difference between the two names when they're mentioned together in the Quran, from a meaning point of view, Ar-Rahim is specific. And it's specific to the believers. Right? It is specific to the believers. Some of the scholars said Ar-Rahman is for this world, it includes everyone. Ar-Rahim will be for the believers on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Right? Because on that day, there won't be mercy except for the believers. Right? They are the ones who have the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And from that we have those ahadith. I think we mentioned some of them last week, like the hadith, in which Allah Azza wa Jal divided His mercy into a hundred parts. He sent one down to the earth. Ninety-nine will remain for the believers on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Right? That is the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah Azza wa Jal in many hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa that speak about that aspect of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And how 
wide ranging it will be and it will be particular to or especially for the believers on that day Allah Azza wa will forgive them their sins Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will raise them in ranks Allah Azza wa will unite them together with their families all of those um, different mercies that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will have on Yawm Al-Qiyamah so that's from the meaning standpoint so from the linguistic point of view we said Ar-Rahman is a name that belongs to Allah alone it is specific to Allah but as Ar-Rahim can be used to describe more than Allah or other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well as a descriptive <laughs> okay so um, so the differences between Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim so we did the linguistic meaning right? so the linguistic one is Ar-Rahman belongs specifically to Allah Rahim can be used for other than Allah as a descriptive as an attribute and then you have the differences in meaning which is that Ar-Rahman refers to Allah's wide mercy comprehensive, expansive mercy that covers the believers and the disbelievers and humans and non-humans and it covers this world and the next whereas Ar-Rahim is specific to Allah's mercy for the believers on Yawm Al-Qiyamah right? and that's why often in the Quran as we said when Allah uses the name Ar-Rahman on its own it is to depict that wider mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so for example in um, Surah Maryam uh, when Ibrahim salam is addressing his father and he says to him, Ya Abati, la ta'budi shaytan. Inna shaytana kana lirrahmani asiyya. Oh my dear father, don't worship shaytan, for indeed shaytan was ever disobedient to ar-Rahman. Right? Why does he use the word, or the name rather, ar-Rahman, when he's speaking about shirk, right? And kufr and disbelief, and he's speaking about worshipping other than Allah, and he's speaking about shaytan and iblis and so on. Right? And he uses the name ar-Rahman. And some of the scholars of tafsir, like Abu Hayyan and others, they said, because Allah Azza wa Jal, the fact that He punishes someone for this sin, despite His mercy, Allah is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. With all of His mercy, if He chooses to punish someone for a sin, it shows that that sin must be extremely great. Right? So Allah Azza wa Jal is Ar-Rahim and Ar-Rahman. That's His attributes and that is His characteristic. And Allah Azza wa Jal, as we mentioned in the hadith last week, Allah has written above His throne, that is, Mercy overcomes his anger. So then if Allah chooses to punish someone for a sin, it's because that sin is grave, whatever that sin may be. And the fact then that shirk, the sin of shirk, has no tawbah, has no repentance for it, right? meaning in the sense that if a person dies upon shirk, right? obviously if they make tawbah in their life, they're forgiven. But if they die upon shirk, there is no mercy for them. They don't go into jannah. There is no forgiveness for them. It shows how grave the sin of shirk is. Because Allah Azza wa is a Rahman al-Rahim. And the fact that that is a sin that has no point of return after death, then that is how grave that sin is. So that's the second meaning. The third meaning, or the third difference in the meanings when the two names are coupled together in the Quran is from an eloquent standpoint. And that is that the name al-Rahman is more eloquent than al-Rahim. Right? Because it is more comprehensive. Al-Rahim is much more specific. Al-Rahman is far greater and therefore far more eloquent. And that is why Ar-Rahman in the Quran always comes before Ar-Rahim. Right? Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Rahman is mentioned first because it is more eloquent and then Rahim is more specific. An interesting um, point that is mentioned in the books of um, Tafsir, Imam Al-Tabari mentions this, Ibn Kathir, Rahimahullah and others. They mention, um, or they ask the question rather, was the name Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim and these names were they, na- were they known to Allah? Were they known to the Arabs rather before Islam? 
So did the Arabs know the name Ar-Rahman? Right? So Ar-Rahman was it known to the Arabs before Islam. And some of the scholars said no. Right? Why did they say no? Does anyone know? Because uh, isn't it that when, uh, I think, uh, what his name, the, one of the, I think it was the Battle of Badr, when uh, one of the, the Rahani bin Auf was protecting um, what the, the guy's name. And he said to him, I'm not going to call you uh, Abdul Rahman because I don't know who Rahman is. I'll call you Abdul no, Abdul uh, Ilah. Okay, possibly. But there's a more direct like um, reason. Right? There's a more direct incident <laughs> that shows... Yeah, Hudaybiyah. Right? So in the incident of Hudaybiyah, um, when they're writing the contract, right, and the famous story of writing the treaty between the Muslims and the representatives of Quraysh, and how did they begin the contract? Ali radiallahu anhu was writing and he began with Bismillah rahman rahim right? And what did Suhail ibn Amr say? Don't write Bismillah rahman rahim write Bismikallahumma, right? In your name, O Allah, because we don't know Ar-Rahman rahim and Allah Azza wa Jal says in Surah Al-Furqan, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمُ اسْجُدُوا لِلرَّحْمَانِ قَالُوا وَمَا الرَّحْمَانِ أَنَسْجُدُوا لِمَا تَأْمُرُنَا وَزَادَهُمْ نُفُورًا When it is said to them, prostrate to Ar-Rahman, they say, and who is Ar-Rahman? Right? They question, who is Ar-Rahman? So some of the scholars took that literally to mean that the Arabs were unaware of this name. And they didn't know the name of Rahman, and therefore they outright rejected it, like Allah Azza wa mentions in the Quran, and like in that story of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. But Imam al-Tabari and Ibn Kathir and others, they disagree. And they say that the correct and the stronger opinion is that they did know the name of Rahman. They did know, they were aware of this name of Rahman, and that it spoke of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the reason for this, and they bring um, poetry, that the Arabs used to say and used to write before Islam, right? From the days of pre-Islam and the days of ignorance, Jahiliyyah, the Arab poets used to speak about Allah using the name Ar-Rahman. And if you go to, you know, I'm not going to quote the Arabic poetry, um, but if you go to Al-Tabari's tafsir, he mentions it, right? From those old Arab poets pre-Islam, that they would mention the name Allah. So therefore, if that's the case, right, and it's known amongst them, why then do we have the story of Hudaybiyah and the verse in the Quran in Surah Al-Furqan which seems to apparently say that they didn't know the name Ar-Rahman. Why did they reject it? Could it be that they didn't refer to Allah as Ar-Rahman? Or could it be that that tribe didn't? Okay, so one possible meaning is that it wasn't known to all of the Arabs. Only some of the Arabs knew Allah as Ar-Rahman and others didn't. But even that seems like, a, you know, because the Arabs kind of worship the same gods, right? They all knew Allah, and they all knew Al-Uzza, and they all knew the names of their gods. Actually, what even Kathir al-Qurtubi say, al-Tabri rather say, is that it was done out of arrogance. They rejected this name out of arrogance. Because it was commonly used by the Muslims, right? The Arabs didn't use it much. So even though they knew the name, and they knew they referred to Allah, they rarely used it. So when the Muslims came and they began to use it commonly, right, and regularly, then out of haughtiness and pride and rejection and kufr and obstinance, they simply said, we don't accept the name Ar-Rahman. Right? Just to show that they were different. And that is part of their haughtiness and, and their arrogance. And that is what Ibn Kathir and Imam al-Tabri, rahimahumullah, say. Uh, are we going to stop with Adhan? To Adhan, Sheikh? Oh. Uh...
بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه ما بعد um, Before we take some Q&A uh, just one final point which, which I remembered because we were speaking about the Treaty of Hudaybiyah and how the Quraysh wanted it changed and they wrote Bismik Allahum right? um, There is a narration I think it's in Sunan Abi Dawood uh, that Ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma said that the Muslims and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam didn't know the statement Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim or the Basmalah except after Surah Al-Naml. Right? Because as we said last week, it is a part of the verse of Surah Al-Naml. وَإِنَّهُ مِنْ سُلَيْمَانِ وَإِنَّهُ بِسْمِ However, the scholars say that's a weak narration. They say that that's a weak narration. Um, however, there is um, a statement also of Imam al-Sha'bi, rahimahullah, who was one of the scholars of the Tabi'een. So he wasn't a companion. So it's not a statement from the Prophet wasallam. but Imam al-Sha'bi himself said that when Islam first began, the Prophet wasallam would say, Bismik Allahumma, right, in your name, O oh Allah, because that was the common way of the Arabs and the Quraysh of invoking Allah's name. They would say, in your name, O oh Allah, Bismik Allahumma. And then when Allah revealed the verse in Surah Hud, وَقَالَ ارْكَبُوا فِيهَا بِسْمِ اللَّهِ مَجْرِهَا in the story of Nuh salam in Surah Hud, Allah says that when they barked upon the ship, they said, Bismillah. So then the Prophet changed it and he said, Bismillah. Right? So from Bismillah, it became Bismillah. And then he says, when Allah revealed the verse that we mentioned in Surah Al-Isra, Whether you call him Allah or Ar-Rahman, all of the beautiful names of Allah belong to him. He said, so then the Prophet said, Bismillah ar-Rahman. Right? And then in Surah Al-Naml, when we have that, that verse of the letter of Sulaiman, إِنَّهُ مِن Sulaymana, وَإِنَّهُ Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, it is from Sulaiman, the letter is from Sulaiman, and it begins with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Then the Prophet changed it to Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So that's something which you find in the books of Tafsir Imam al-Sha'bi mentions. Again, it's not an authentic narration from the Prophet because Imam al-Sha'bi isn't from the companions. But I thought it's just an interesting um, statement that scholars mention as to how the best manner evolved over time and Allah knows best. Um, before I forget, next week, inshallah, the class will be after Salat al-Isha. So it's getting earlier and earlier, obviously, because Maghrib is getting earlier and earlier. So next week, inshallah, we'll move it after Salat al-Isha. Isha will be 8 o'clock, inshallah. So that will be 8 o'clock for those of you coming to the masjid, 8.20, inshallah, for the online stream. So hopefully we'll start not too late after Salat al-Isha. Um, this weekend is also my Maghrib class, Lost in Translation. If you're unsure and you, don't, you want to know more about the class, I would recommend that you attend the Free Friday. So we have... Um, two or three hours free Friday, 7 p.m. at the University of Birmingham, where you're all welcome to come and see what the class is going to be about. And as I said, it's about the topic of the contemplation of the Quran. Any questions? Take some questions. Yeah, sister? Yes, yeah, so Rahma is fine. So the sister is asking the question, can you use... The name Rahma, which means mercy, yes. The name Rahma is fine. Um, it's Ar-Rahman that the scholars say that you shouldn't. And in fact, any of the names of Allah with the Al shouldn't be used, right? Because when you put the Al, you're saying that this is the most, right? The most, you know, the all-knowing, the all-seeing, the all-hearing, right? The most merciful. And that's what makes it specific to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And the word, and some of these names, even if they're not used with the word, uh, with the letters Al, should be refrained from, like Rahman. So I know it's common in some cultures to call people Rahman, right? Not the Al, but just Rahman. And so, you know, like, uh, as the scholars mentioned, that's something which should also be avoided. It is one of the names that is specific to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anyone else? I got any online questions? Seriously? Is that because we kept like no, cutting no, off and no, people no, just like they'll forget this? Huh? No questions. Okay. Um, okay. I don't want to like start the next topic because we won't finish it. But inshallah, next week what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the basmala. One of the the most common discussions in in, in the basmala is as it relates to Surah Fatiha. Right? Is it part of Surah Fatiha or not? Is it a verse of Surah Fatiha or not? And there is you know, a, a big difference of opinion amongst the scholars. Number one, because you know, the Prophet ﷺ told us that how many ayahs is Surah Fatiha? Seven, right? It's called Sab'ul Mathani, right? The seven oft-repeated verses. So from those seven, is Bismillah one of them? Or is it one of the seven? And therefore, when we say, Sirat al-Ladheena lamta alayhim ghayl al-Maghdubi alayhim al-Dhalin, is that one verse or two verses? So if you say Bismillah is part of Fatiha, Sirat al-Ladheena lamta alayhim ghayl al-Maghdubi alayhim al-Dhalin is one verse, right? It becomes one verse. But if you say the Basmala or Bismillah isn't part of Fatiha, and that it starts with Alhamdulillah, then Sirat al-Ladheena lamta alayhim becomes a verse by itself. And then you say, غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَلْضَالِينَ And that's how you make it to seven, right? And an even more important point than perhaps even the, the counting of the verses is that if you consider the basmala to be part of Fatiha, then you have to read it, right? So in Salah, you know, like as part of Fatiha, if it's a pillar of Salah and you just say, Alhamdulillah, and you don't say Bismillah, but Bismillah is part of Fatiha, then your Fatiha was incorrect, which therefore means that your Salah was incorrect. Right? Whereas if you say, no, it's actually not a part of Fatiha, then obviously it changes the whole discussion. Right? And then we'll speak about, you know, do you read the Basma out loud in Salah, not out loud, all of that kind of stuff. And we'll also mention, inshallah ta'ala, time permitting, the um, different places in which the Basma is recommended, right? like we did with Isti'adha, the different places in which the Basma is, or some of them, that it's recommended to be said in. Question on uh, regarding the Basma of are there any benefits of using it in certain places as narrated by some of the scholars? Are there any benefits of using the basmala in certain places? Or of Nuh alayhi salam using the basmala? Yeah. yeah, so one of the sunnahs of using the basmala, as we said when we speak about the, the places in which you use the basmala, one of the recommended places is when you embark, right? When you get into your car, you get on a plane, or you get on a bus, or on a ship, if you go on a ship, all that kind of stuff, because that's what he said, right? وَقَالَ رَكَبُوا Fiha Bismillah and he said, Embark upon the ark with the name of Allah. And as we said last week, Bismillah means to begin with the name of Allah seeking his blessing and seeking his bounties and seeking his grace and so on. And so therefore some of the scholars of Islam and we'll you know we'll mention this when we come to that point, but some of the scholars said that any action that you do, you know, it's okay to say Bismillah regarding it, right? To say Bismillah beforehand. That was the opinion of some of the scholars that you say generally Bismillah, Bismillah, because you're asking for Allah's blessings in the action that you're about to perform, and Allah knows best. Okay, we have just a couple of minutes left for Salat Raisha, so I think we'll stop there. Jazakumullah khairan. I apologize for the technical issues, um, but anyway. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.